Welcome to Sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Good morning. Thank you for joining us here online as we worship God. With the church building closed, we are trying something new. We're outdoors. Uh, I hope the sound of the birds is not too distracting, if you can hear that. Um, I hope that you are safe and healthy. I know that many people in our church family are praying for each other and uh, for people in our communities. And I would encourage you to continue to do that and to find ways to bless people in these difficult times. So this morning we're continuing in our series on Luke and Acts. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, verses 35 to 48. And the title of the sermon is Kingdom Readiness. Uh, And you might notice that the word kingdom is not actually in our passage, but it is nonetheless about the kingdom. This whole section of Luke is all about the kingdom of God. And that is where God is present and his will is done. So let's read Luke 12, verses 35 to 48. Be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. He will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful, wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants? to give them their food allowance at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him And at an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving of punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Will you pray with me? Lord, please open our our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us today and to respond in obedience. Would you be glorified this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm sure that when some of you read this passage, even though there are some amazing promises here, it might have seemed a little bit scary. But in fact, this passage is very good news. 
Jesus says, it will be good for the servant who is ready for the kingdom to come. Jesus says that three times, in fact. It's going to be good. But before we talk more about those good things, let's talk about some of the things that might be troubling us. Now, many commentators believe that from verse 42 on, Jesus talked about four different servants. You have the faithful servant, the drunk abusive servant, and then two other servants who weren't as bad but did not carry out God's will. Now, talking about the last servant, verse 48 says, but the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. Now, you might think that Jesus is saying people will be punished for things they know nothing about. But Jesus is not saying that God is unfair. Now, everyone has some understanding of God. Even people who've never heard of God's law know something about God from creation. It says this in Romans chapters 1 and 2, and it also says that people are expected to respond to God based on what they do know. And the point of what Jesus is saying here is that God is not going to judge those who have little knowledge with the same standard as those who have been given much. So Jesus was responding to Peter's question, and he was saying that those in leadership, like the apostles, have been given more. So more will be asked of them. God called the apostles in a special way. He poured into them and equipped them in a way that that most of us have not. And I'm glad that God is not expecting me to do what the apostles did. But God is expecting me to do more than people who have not had the same revelation from God as I do. And we know that with greater knowledge, greater resources, comes greater responsibility. Uh, By the way, that concept was not started by Peter Parker's father or uh, Spider-Man's father. It, It actually originated with God. God will be fair, more fair than any of us ever would be. But if we're not doing what we need to be doing, then in love, he will discipline us as a father disciplines his son or daughter that he loves. And don't be distracted by the method of, of uh, discipline in the story. Jesus was giving a culturally relevant example of, and something, you know, it's something the people listening would understand from, from their daily lives. Now notice that it's only the drunk, abusive servant who is assigned a place with the unbelievers. So if the other two are not assigned a place with the unbelievers, then for them, this is correction. And the Lord disciplines the one that he loves. It says in Hebrews 12, if you are not disciplined, then you are not true sons and daughters. God disciplines us for our own good in order that we may share in his holiness. The point is that God wants to make us fit for the kingdom of God, which means being made into the likeness of Jesus Christ. God wants us with him. And we cannot be with him in his kingdom if we are not formed into the image of Jesus. So it's, it's out of love that God will correct us. Now, you may ask, what about the servant that was cut to pieces? That sounds extremely harsh. Well, many commentators believe that to be cut in pieces here is metaphorical. I mean, after all, how can someone be cut into pieces and then be assigned a place with the unbelievers. 
what, what it means is that the person will be cut off from the life of God, which actually is worse than anything that could happen to us physically. In the Old Testament, in Numbers chapter 15, verse 30 and 31, it says, But anyone who sins defiantly, whether native-born or foreigner, blasphemes the Lord and must be cut off from the people of Israel. Because they have despised the Lord's word and broken his commands, they must surely be cut off. Their guilt remains on them. And we see this too in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 and 27. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. This is not occasional sin. This is not even habitual sin that we might struggle with and, and can't seem to get past. This is talking about premeditated, deliberate sin as a way of life. The drunk, abusive servant made a choice to essentially shake his fist in the face of God and go his own way. Only the one who is defiant in their sin is cut off from the presence of God. And that's the way that it has to be. Because heaven would not be heaven if there were people like the abusive servant in heaven. And furthermore, as C.S. Lewis said, and I, I think he's right, he said, heaven for them would be hell. Because they wouldn't be in control of their lives. God would be. So, what is this passage telling us? Besides the great news that I was talking about, Jesus tells us three very important things. First, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. We don't know the day or the hour, but we know he is coming back. You know, in those days, a wedding celebration, a Jewish wedding celebration could take uh, days or a week. Nobody knew how long it would end, so no one knew when the master would actually be coming back. And then Jesus talks about a thief, and you never know when a thief is going to break in. I mean, you can put a sign outside your house that says, Thieves, please note, break-ins are by appointment only. That's probably not going to work. Now, Jesus is not saying he's a thief. The only relevant part of this analogy is that the second coming of Jesus is unpredictable, like that of a thief. We know Jesus is coming, but we don't know when. Second, Jesus is saying that what we do matters. Following Jesus is not just believing something in our heads. It's acting on the truth of who Jesus is, the fact that he rose from the dead, the fact that he is Lord. That means following and obeying Jesus. And the servant who was honored was the one who did, who physically did what the master wanted. We need to orient our lives around Jesus. And this passage tells us there are rewards in the kingdom based on what we do. Third, maybe the most important, Jesus tells us that we need to be ready for the kingdom of God. Three times Jesus tells us to be ready. This is the main point of the passage, but what does it mean to be ready? Now, it's clear that the ones who were obeying Jesus were ready. But obeying God is not just avoiding things that are not good for us or for other people. 
The last two servants were not getting drunk and being abusive, but they were not carrying out everything that the master wanted. Obeying God does mean avoiding things, but it means doing what God wants us to do. James chapter 4, verse 17 says, If anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, then for them, that's sin. Now, the good servant was praised for giving the other servants food. He was carrying out the master's instructions. He was using the resources he had been put in charge of to meet the needs of others. And this reflects God's heart. It's who he is. There's a reason God's two greatest commandments, as it says in Luke chapter 10, are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's because God is love. It's who he is. He wants us to care for other people because he cares for other people. The good servant cared for people, and the drunk, abusive servant cared only for himself. Now, obviously, the two were different based on what they did. But we need to ask why. Why did they act differently? There's a clue in the way Jesus describes the wicked servant. You know, at first, the wicked servant was actually doing what the master wanted because he didn't want to get in trouble or get punished. But then it seemed like the master was never going to come back. And so why shouldn't he use these resources for himself? You know, this, this is his chance to live it up, to eat and drink all that he wants. And if he feels like getting angry and uh, at others, you know, he can just let it out however he wants. The master being away was his chance to really live. Because he thought that life, the good life, was doing what you wanted and having what you wanted. The faithful servant saw it the other way around. Life is good when the master is around. Because the master is good. The master loves us. He makes sure that things happen the way he wants, which means that no one is taken advantage of. Everyone has their needs met. You know, the kingdom of God is partially here. Jesus said the kingdom of God is, is coming among you. Among you. It, it's breaking in with the advent of Jesus. The kingdom of God is coming. It's not here fully. But when it is here fully, there will be no mourning or death or crying or pain. And the reason is because the master will be there and his will will be done. The faithful servant knows this and so he wants God's will to be done in every situation, in other people and in himself. He's ready for God's kingdom. You know, after a long and cold winter, people say, I am so ready for spring. I just, I want it to come now. And if we are God's faithful servant, this is what we are thinking when we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not, not just out there, but in me. The faithful servant wanted the presence of the king. The wicked servant did not. He thought life was better without the king. So then he could you know, use everything for himself. But there is no life apart from God. When you have God, you have life. Or better yet, when God has you, and when you are in Jesus, you are in God, then you have life. And you know, the kingdom of God is not just the absence of negative things like death and pain. It's a celebration where life and joy and peace abound. It's a feast. It's a banquet. 
You know, Jesus says that the master gives the faithful servants a banquet. This is astounding. You know, no master in the first century of, of in Palestine would ever do this. A banquet for the servants? But this was God's plan all along. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah 25, it says, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and finest of wines. And then it goes on to say, He will swallow up death forever. The Sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. This is what we who belong to Jesus Christ are looking forward to in the kingdom of God. It's a celebration. It's a feast. And you know, even more shocking than the servants getting a banquet is the fact that the master himself serves the servants. We do not deserve this honor. But to those who love God, he, he gives us and bestows on us blessings and honors that we can't even fathom. He is good. You know, being ready for the kingdom means living now as if the kingdom is already fully here, which means doing what the Master wants, which is to love God and love others as ourselves, to use what God has given us to love and bless others. Now, we need to understand being ready does not mean being perfect. None of us is completely faithful, and we cannot earn our way into, the God, into God's kingdom by what we do. The only one who ever perfectly fulfilled the will of the Father was Jesus Christ, who is God. So God himself fulfilled the requirements of faithfulness. And he also took on himself the penalty of our sin, of our unfaithfulness. When he died on the cross, he died so that we could live. He died so that we could be with him in the kingdom. So in this life, we will not be perfect. Because we are sinful, we will not always want God's will to be done. And, that, and when that happens, we, we need to just confess that and ask God to change our heart so that we do want God's will to be done. You know, Philippians 2, verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. That means any ability to love God and love others comes from God. In fact, any desire to want to love God and others comes from God himself. He works in us. He changes us. But it's not just completely God. We have to choose. We have to let him do this. And so to be ready for the kingdom means to be willing to pray, Lord, show me how my life is oriented around myself. Show me how it can be more oriented around you and around others and caring for others with the things that you've given me. Being ready for the kingdom means being ready to pray, Lord, how are you leading me? How are you leading my family? How are you leading our church to live now according to the principles of your kingdom? To be ready means to be open to the Holy Spirit, prompting us to do things that we might not do on our own when we're focused on ourselves. And you know, these might not be huge things. It doesn't have, you know, it's not like we're living our own life or we're missionaries in Africa. It's, it's not one or the other. It's not a huge thing necessarily. It could be something tiny like, like writing a note to a neighbor or, you know, offering someone guitar lessons or, or helping someone rake their leaves. You know, I heard someone this week describing these little promptings, these things from God as like breadcrumbs that he's placing. It's not a huge sign, it's just a breadcrumb, you know? And it's just like a little idea about doing something that, 
that will show love and care for other people. And we have the choice of whether to go over and pick it up. It's, it's not a huge thing. It's just a tiny little breadcrumb. But we have to choose. And when we take that step, when we pick up that breadcrumb, we are faithful. And God will give us another one. We don't have to change the world in one moment or one day or anything except just do what God is, is asking us to do. He just wants us to respond and say yes to what he is putting in front of us now. So this is an uncertain time. You know, we, we don't know what's going to happen, but we do know God is in control. We know God loves us, and we know that he is still calling us, even now, to love others as ourselves, to use what God has given us to bless others. You know, right now, we can't do some of the things that we normally do. And, and so God is fair. God, God is just. He's not asking us to do things that we cannot do anymore. But you know what? There are things that we can do now that we couldn't do before. So a month ago, picture this, a month or two months ago, you know, there's, a, there, there's neighbors you don't know. You've never even met. It would be weird if out of the blue you stuck a note in their mailbox saying, hey, if you want me to get something from the grocery store, uh, just let me know. Here's my email and phone number. I live down the street. That would have seemed really weird a month ago. Not now. Not now. God is, God is doing new things. He's opening doors. Do we want to see them? Doing that now might open, you know, open up conversations that, that you'd never have otherwise. So this is just, that's just an example. You know, what is God prompting you to do? Something, something small, a breadcrumb that fits with his desire for us to live according to his kingdom principles. Are you ready for the kingdom? Do you want to see God's will being carried out? His love being more evident in you and through you to those around you? And, and when you don't, when I don't, are we willing to ask God to change us so that we do want more and more his will to be done? Because it will be good for those servants who are ready for the kingdom of God. Those servants who are looking expectantly to the triumphant return of our Lord and King, Jesus Christ. It will be good. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, I pray that through the grace that you have given us in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, will you turn us into people more and more who love you and actively love others. Will you do this in us, Lord? We pray. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings on you today. And so I pray that God would bless you with the knowledge of his presence as you go to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.